morning, everybody. My name's Tim Gillespie. I work here. I know it's hard to know. Listen, there's a bunch of people standing in the back. So if you could, if you could move forward, if you can forward and move towards the middle, if you could, so we can create some extra spaces and extra seats, if we could. If you don't know the person that, you know, is two chairs away, say good morning. Because um, we, need, we need to have people seated if they can, because it's a long way to stand. How's everyone doing? Good? Good. Sorry I've been gone for a while. I've been kind of going all over the world, which is pretty awesome. Um, I got to hang out with our team in Melbourne, Australia. They should be launching in three to six months, I think. They will be in a venue and launching a church. Yeah, you can give a shout out for that. It's incredible. Incredible. Last week, I was in Chattanooga hanging out with their new, their brand new lead pastor in Chattanooga, Pastor Dave Ferguson, who's an amazing guy. And um, he's just, it's going to be such a good fit. I'm so excited. We installed him as pastor like a toilet because um, that's the term we use. I don't know. It's so weird. I should stop saying like a toilet, shouldn't I? I should say like a faucet or something. Anyway, um, he's great. We got to spend some time. Pastor Patty and Pastor Ron came over and we spent some time in Chattanooga planning and strategizing for what God has next for um, our teaching team and for the way that we're going to continue to grow um, what God is doing through Crosswalk, which is really exciting. Then I flew over to um, Tampa and had some great conversations with some people there about some things that we could do. Also did a graduation. And you may be wondering, like, why your job is here? Why? Maybe you're just my staff wondering that. But, um, you know, your job is here. Why aren't you here? And I get it. And I want to say two things about that. Number one, um, what happens in Redlands has a massive effect on what's going on in the rest of our campuses and the rest of our world. So Redlands is really important. It is our anchor campus. So I want to thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for, um, you know, making this place a successful place when it comes to what we can do. But secondly, I want you to know that we have this mission that we believe in the expansion of the kingdom of God, and we believe that it's really important that we do that. And so um, when we think about mission, this is the question that I have a tendency to think about. What if you didn't have Crosswalk, right? What if you just lived in a place that didn't have a Crosswalk church, that didn't have a place where you could go, where, you, where because the truth is this, and it's a sad, sad reality. Healthy churches are not the norm all the time. It's actually much rarer than you think. And so to be able to, I mean, we've got people here from Crosswalk Sonora, from Lovewell Sonora. We're excited for the Gearings and what's going on there. Yep. We've got some big moves happening there, hopefully very soon. So, um, so, so listen, it's, when people call up and they say, hey, We'd love to have a crosswalk church here. We've got people together. We're coalescing funds. You know, we want to be a part of what God is doing with crosswalk. It is really hard for me, and I'll just say this. It's really hard for me to go, no, nah, we're not going there, right? Because A, that's mean, and B, we're blessed. How lucky are we to be able to do what God has allowed us to do in this space? So, so you know, hear me when I say I hate being gone from Redlands. And three weeks is a lot. I don't want to do that again. But, um, man, what God is doing is incredible. And I wish you could see it all from the vantage point that I get to see. Because we're making a massive impact and you're making a massive impact. So this is some of the ways that you can participate in the mission. First of all, and we used to say this a lot during COVID, but this is true still. Like and share. When you see something online that Crosswalk is doing, like it and share it so that more people get to know about it. Our social media makes a big difference. There are people who only know the church through our social media and through our live stream. 
So like and share. Secondly, and this is something you can do here, encourage people to come. This is kind of the analog version of liking and sharing, right? You know, like just, just saying, hey, would you like to come to church with me? Because if you did that, they will come. And when they come here, they get to meet you and fall in love with the way that you love well, right? Also, pray for ever-expanding opportunities. This is what we did when we weren't sure what God was calling us to. We just said, Lord, whatever you want us to do, we're going to do. If you want us to plant churches, if you want us to, you know, help small, whatever, we'll do it. And, and the problem with praying this prayer is that God listens. And it's a mess. Because he's like, are you serious? And you're like, yes, Lord, we just want to be faithful. And he's like, okay. And then he opens up a fire hose that you're supposed to drink from. Like, it's ridiculous. And so it's one of the reasons why I've had to travel so much and be in different places, because God is calling us to so many different things. So pray for our ever-expanding opportunities that God is giving us. Um, But also, we need to make sure that we are a healthy church here in Redlands. This is really important. One of the ways that we can do this is by your engagement, right? First in prayer. It always begins with prayer. So just pray for what God is doing through Crosswalk Church and through Crosswalk Redlands. But, you know, be engaged in worship. Be engaged in in service. You know, be engaged in contributing, whether it's through the way that you serve our different ministries. As you know, we have 300 kids coming for VBS. We have, I think, 180 volunteers. Let's get that up to 200 at least because it needs to be a two-to-one ratio or they'll win. And I'm really, wor- I'm really worried about that because they will run this place and it'll be like Lord of the Flies in here. So it's important that you come and serve for VBS, all right? Just, just do that, please. Um, listen, the way that you contribute your time and your talents, do not be a consumer of Crosswalk Church. Be a contributor to Crosswalk Church because we need every single one of you. As well, the way that you give, of whether it's your time or your talents or your treasure, as they say, the way that you give financially to this ministry here, and like, like I've said, you guys are incredible. Tithe is incredibly up from last year, which is great. We need to make sure that we cover the local church expenses as well so we can continue to do this. This is really important. And lastly, come to church. I know that sounds weird because you're here, so maybe I'm talking to the wrong group. But after COVID, what we've noticed is we have just as many people in church. They just don't all come at the same time. It's like you guys are scared of each other. Come every week to church, right? Make it a part of the cadence of your life because that's the way you get to know people. That's the way you contribute. That's the way we can trust you and you can trust us. It's really important. And so thank you for being part of a healthy church. Thank you for being part of a healthy church movement that God is creating all throughout the world. It is so incredible to be a part of what God is doing. And you, I want you to know that you are a massive part of it too. Um, so thank you. And that's a, that's a lot on that. Seven whole minutes of the sermon was just on that. But, but we're in this weird sermon series called Elemental which is all about deconstruction. And I want to say thank you to Pastor Karen for getting us kicked off in the right way and Pastor Ron for a phenomenal sermon last week as well. This is a big topic and it's a scary topic at times. It's easy for us to say that you shouldn't do it, right? Churches all over the place say, no, don't talk about deconstruction, don't talk about faith and doubt and all these different things because that's a scary place and what if people fall out of faith, right? But let's deal in reality. People are questioning their faith their faith traditions, and their churches all the time. I mean, this is the reality of the lives that we live. And and it's okay. And I need you to understand some things about deconstruction, so I'm just going to premise it a little bit here. But just so you know, three out of four pastors say they're familiar with this idea of deconstruction. This is three out of four pastors in the United States, familiar with the idea of deconstruction, have studied it, have looked at it. However, only 12% of pastors say that they see it happening in their pews. 
or they're chairs for us, not pews. But what this means, it means that people aren't deconstructing in church. It means rather they're going to deconstruct in other places like social media or other places to find conversations about deconstruction. And it's because they don't feel safe to have these conversations in church. And for us, it's really important that we have them in church. And there's a few things we need to say about deconstruction. First of all, deconstruction is not synonymous with deconversion, right? Those are different things. And um, while not everybody who deconverts from Christianity probably deconstructs first, not everyone who deconstructs deconverts. And that's a crucial distinction to make. So we're not trying to destroy anyone's faith. We're trying to deal in the reality of how we think about our faith and how we experience our faith and what it means for us to really believe in things so we're clear on what it is that we believe in and not all this extraneous stuff that maybe doesn't matter so much. But know this as well about deconstruction. Deconstruction is not a movement. It's an explosion. And what that means is that a movement, like we talk about Crosswalk as a movement, right? We're, we believe in the expansion of the kingdom of God. And more and more people are coming a part of it. And there's getting more and more momentum and that sort of thing. Deconstruction has a tendency to be an explosion that leaves people in lots of different places. So we're not saying, hey, well, let's be part of the deconstruction movement. What we want to say is this is a reality that people are dealing with. And it leaves them all over the place. And so we need to recognize that and make sure we're taking care of people through this process. And the truth is this also, that the degree to which someone deconstructs varies very widely. What I mean by that is that some of you grew up in homes that were spiritually abusive and theologically abusive. You grew up in homes that broke you. And, and the fact that you're still in church, that's amazing to me. You grew up with the last generation theology and a perfectionist theology that made it seem that you were never good enough and God would never love you enough. Some of you didn't. Some of you grew up in really grace-oriented and Jesus-focused homes. Your deconstruction process is going to be very different than those who grew up in abuse homes, right? That's okay, but it means that there is no one-size-fits-all in the deconstruction narrative. It means that we're all on this journey at different places, at different times, on different trails even, but when we can do it together, it's really important. And why would people deconstruct at all, right? Because you're like, well, you know, why don't you just trust us and believe what we said? But the truth is we got trust issues, Right? Trust in large institutions is declining across the board. We just don't trust anything the way that we used to. Some of that is because of the information that we get on the internet. Some of that is because of the polarization of society. Some of that is because of political ideology and that sort of thing. It's one of the reasons we deconstruct because we need to say, well, what is it that I believe in? Right? Sometimes the reasons we deconstruct is that we live in a more diverse, accessible, and mobile world. For the better part of world history, most people didn't have to worry about having their faith tested by alternate truth claims and alternate narratives, right? Most of the time we grew up, we grew up in a little village. There was a church there. We went to that church. We got maybe five miles away from our homes. And that was a really long way because it was like a whole day's walk, right? That was most of the world history. But now we live in such a more diverse and accessible and mobile world that there's tons of different information coming at us like crazy. If you don't believe what I say, just Google Seventh-day Adventist and good luck, right? Because you're going to get a lot of different narratives. You're going to get some that are kind of accurate, but shaded one way. You're going to get some that are wildly inaccurate. You're going to get some that are just apologetic and saying that we're exactly that. Like there's a lot out there. So we have to think about things a little differently than we have before. 
We also know that high-performing Christians and high-performing people of faith are just burning out and questioning why they're doing this, right? Do we serve the institution? Do we serve God? What is the balance between those things? What things do I need in my faith life? What things don't I need? What things are healthy? What things are not? Right? This is really important. Also, one of the other reasons that people deconstruct is that oftentimes the church is that has a prioritization of conformity over unity. And when you sacrifice unity for uniformity, for conformity, for homogeneous thinking, you create a culture that doesn't question anymore so that it means it really doesn't think anymore. And I don't believe God created us and gave us these amazing minds to not use them. Right? We're supposed to be thinking about our faith as much as feeling and singing and, you know, all this stuff. We're supposed to be thinking. There's another reason that people are deconstructing right now, and this is kind of particular for, um, for today's world. And it's because there's confusing, we confuse conspiracy and political idolatry with faith in Jesus. Right? We have a tendency to think that people who come from very different ideas and for very different purposes are talking about faith or are using faith or, use, or leveraging faith for their own purposes. And we have to make sure we're clarifying if that's good or not, right? We've seen a great deal of this. By the way, Tim Keller, who's just a, 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 just a, a giant of the faith uh, pastor in New York, um, just died this week. And he's a great thinker. You should read many of his books, in my opinion. But he said this, we should not identify the Christian church or faith with a political party as the only Christian one, right? Because there are Christians all across the board on the political spectrum, all trying to figure out how they honor God in the way that they think about their politics. But we got to ask this question, is it safe to be in a deconstruction conversation? And it's a good question. Because some of you might think this is a fool's errand, right? Are you trying to get people to not believe in faith? Of course not. Some may be welcoming this conversation and saying, oh, thank goodness. But in my book, you see, faith and doubt are constant companions, right? They live together in our lives. And if we don't acknowledge that, we're actually missing out on the robust and dynamic conversation of faith that we need to have. I mean, Mark 9.23 exists because of this. And if you know that narrative, right, Jesus, this man comes to Jesus and says, you know, if you can... Will you heal my child? And Jesus gets a little, a little, like a little dicey. And he goes, what do you mean if I can? Maybe you need to have enough faith. And this man says, I do believe. I do have faith. Help my unbelief. Those two things exist at the same time in each one of us. And to say that they don't is to not acknowledge the constant struggle and the constant conversation we're having with ourselves. Right? This is important for us to do, and it's important for us to do it together. Except, right, I, I get it, right? Shouldn't the church be where you go for certainty? Like, you don't want to leave church asking questions. You want to leave church with questions answered. I mean, a lot of people do. Maybe not you guys. And yes, yes, but certain on what we can be certain of. Because we have sometimes made an idol out of certainty, and therefore, we've done damage to our understanding of God, of Scripture, of faith, by making it out to be something that it is not. So, it kind of begs an epistemological question, but we'll get to that. But we will ask this question, is certainty bad? No, but within reason. What are you certain of in life? Right? And the reason, by the way, we don't engage in this conversation is simply because of fear. 
right? Fear is the enemy of faith. It keeps us from studying. It makes us conservative and resistant to change. What happens is we shut down the conversation because you don't want to lose. Certainty is not bad, but you need to be certain of what you're being certain in. I love philosophical conversations. I don't know if you know that, right? Listen, 200 years ago, 1789, Benjamin Franklin said this, nothing is certain but death and taxes, right? He said it 200 years ago. The idea is that there is a lot of which we cannot be certain of, but there are some things that are elemental. Break them down and discover if they are important. That is what we're doing in this series. But it begs another philosophical question, which is what can we know and what is impossible to know? And we don't like this, right? This is an epistemological question. It's a question about truth. What is truth? How can you know it? It's a big question. In faith, we have to ask, well, where's our source of truth? We, we believe God is our source of truth. Okay, so what comes from God is a good place to know what we can know. When I was doing my, um, when I was doing my doctorate, I, I, uh, we were taking a philosophical approach to the idea of um, postmodern epistemology or postmodern idea of truth, right? And we, I read this book. It was called The Death of Truth. And it was very, like, modernistic in its tone. And, like, we used to believe things, and now nobody believes things. And this generation is bad because they don't believe things. And it was just, it, was, it wasn't a great book, just for the record. Um, but, you know, it was a lot of how a lot of people think, right? Your parents, your grandparents, very possibly, are like, what? Things you, we used to know stuff. And now you guys act like you don't know anything. When did true truth change? Well, I will say this. Truth didn't change. And by the way, truth is not dead. I believe truth is alive. It's just that truth is a person. His name is Jesus. Right? Yeah, you can clap for that. That's a good one. But that means that the things that we've said about Jesus might or might not be true. Right? We actually don't believe in declarations. We believe in Jesus living, breathing right? Alive. We believe that his name is Jesus, and we believe that he has spoken, and he speaks, and he will continue to speak to us, right? That means if truth speaks, which is, by the way, a theological term for that is revelation, God revealing himself. If truth speaks, then how do we know what is said? Inspiration, right? These two things are really important. Revelation, how does God speak, right? And inspiration, how do we hear it? And then how do we get that information out? This was, by the way, my very first class in seminary. 7 a.m. in a Michigan winter. I had to take on this topic. That was super fun. I'm from California. Like, I wouldn't get out of bed. It was cold. I didn't want to get out of bed. 7 a.m. It was dark when I went to school. It was dark when I came out because the sun just like, like, just doesn't want to try in Michigan for some reason. It's not worth it. Um, and I, I had this class by Dr. Van Bimmelen was his name. He was Dutch, Dr. Van Bimmelen. He's a very serious, very serious man. Um, and the way we started the class is that he passed, a, he passed a clipboard around and we all signed our names up. Well, somebody was making a joke and they signed um, Ken Griffey Jr.'s name up. I don't know if you know who that is, baseball player, right? Um, well, that's how they would get the attendance. So from then on, Ken Griffey Jr.'s name was on the attendance list. Poor Dr. Van Bimmelen. He, <laughs> about six weeks in, he comes to class very concerned. And he says to us, uh, 
because this is how his voice sounded a little bit. A little bit. He said, uh, does anyone know Ken Griffey Jr.? <laughs> and like then, as a practical joke, just for the record, I didn't do that. It was my first class in seminary. I was not bold enough to do this. I learned in this class that jokes were good. But, um, but so he's like, is, where's Ken Griffey Jr.? Is he here? Is Ken Griffey Jr. here? And like somebody, you know, somebody, there's always somebody in the class that feels bad and wants to be a teacher's pet. So finally raises his hand and says, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. is a professional baseball player. And Dr. Vimalin goes, well, he's going to fail my class. <laughs> That's mean. Uh, that's just mean. But this class dealt with the idea of revelation, God speaking, and then the idea of inspiration, the idea of inspiration, how, how we hear it and how we give it out, right? Inspiration is important, right? And it's important in this deconstructive process of how we're going to deal with Scripture and how we're going to understand Scripture and how we're going to wrestle with Scripture, certainly, right? If we believe that God speaks, revelation, the question of how we hear it or how it gets to us is important. It's actually elemental, elemental to our understanding of God and faith. And I got to tell you, um, and we see this over and over in Scripture, when God speaks, when God reveals, because by the way, everything we know about God is a self-revelation of God. We don't know anything except what God has told other people about himself and about itself and about what we, um, what we pick up. So um, whenever God speaks, it's it's kind of expressed as a fire in the bones, right? The people who hear God, they have a fire in their bones to say something about it and to tell people about it. And this is why they ultimately wrote it down. And we see in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul speaking about this, where he says, all scripture is inspired by God. And most translations say, all scripture is God breathed. Breathed. Theonoestia, right? Is God breathed out. All scripture comes from God. It's revealed by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God breathed it. That's the revelation. But how did we hear it? There's two major thoughts about how we hear the voice of God, right? And then how God inspires us to move. There's two major thoughts on it. One is verbal inspiration. This means that God said it and I wrote it down, right? The way God said it is exactly right. So in the beginning, in the beginning, comma, yes, comma, in the beginning. God created. God created? Okay, got that right. Um, first ten, present tense, past tense, how are we doing this? Right? Every single word is exactly the way God wanted it to be. Right? That's verbal inspiration. There's many Christian traditions that believe in verbal inspiration very much. We, however, come from a tradition that has leaned towards thought inspiration, interestingly enough. So that means that God revealed himself to people in their minds through their thoughts. And then he partnered with them to write it down in their own words. This means it was a partnership with God and man. The thoughts came from God, but the words came from man. This keeps us away from, this keeps us away, uh, I want to say this correctly. This keeps us away from being too dogmatic about what scripture says, and it begs us to engage the text in a very different way. I actually think it's a really beautiful thing that God trusted us enough to let us put what we believed and knew about him into our own words. That's a lot of trust. Would you let most people in your life write an email for you? No way. Like sometimes I'm driving and I'll like hand my phone I mean, I don't have my phone, so I'm like, hey, pick up my phone, because I'm not driving with my phone in my hand. 
it's super dangerous and irresponsible. So I'm not doing that, clearly. But I'll say to my son, like, hey, will you write this down? But I'm not like, hey, answer him. I'm like, hey, write this down. What I said, in thought inspiration, in understanding the idea of thought inspiration, it's the idea that God gives us a particular way to think. But maybe we should ask this question. Aren't words and thoughts the same thing? Right? Aren't words and thoughts, if God reveals himself, aren't words and thoughts the same thing? No. Some of you think in words, right? Some of you close your eyes at night and words are going across the screen in your head, right? Some of you think in pictures. And you close your eyes at night and you're just picturing what's happening. Some of you think in colors. Weirdos. <laughs> Some of you do. Some of you think in colors. Some of you think in moods. Some of you think in music. I, I have a friend who I believe is a musical genius. And what's going on in his head is definitely not what's happening in most of the rest of the general population's head. <laughs> Right? He's thinking very differently. And he's like, music is just, it's a language to me. I know what it means when I hear it. I'm like, that's fascinating. Right? So words and thoughts are not the same thing. Right? Some of us have words. And some of us have been accused of having too many words by their families when they want them in church. Um, some of us have very few but can relay thoughts through music and moods and all these things. You know, our faith tradition actually leans on this particular phrase as an understanding of how God reveals and inspires. Those inspired were God's penmen, not God's pen. They were not just a tool, but they were a partnership. Right? This means that we can accept the contradictions that we find in Scripture, and we can wrestle with them. We can admit to them. Admitting to them does not mean that Scripture is wrong. Because it's a vastly more complicated book than that. It means that we have to have a relationship with the way they wrote and why they wrote. That means we got to get to know the authors. That means we have to get to know what they were saying to the people at the time, not just to us. Right? Because it's too easy. It, when you go through a deconstructive process and we get to this idea of revelation and inspiration, it's too easy for us to simply say, well, is Scripture right or wrong? Right? That's not fair. Because it's more than that. We try to make scripture into history or science or technology or morality or, you know, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? It's not a recipe or a checklist. Rather, it's a living, breathing expression of God's love for us. And it's honest about this being a very difficult and complicated relationship. Have you read the Old Testament? Like, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that was a group of people who were like, what? Now? Are you sure? Or it was a group of people who were like, we just killed everybody. Do you think God told us to do that? Let's say God told us to do that. Because sometimes they were trying to justify tribal situations that they were in. Right? The way that we approach Scripture has a lot to do with our, our understanding of what it is we're supposed to believe in. And I think sometimes pastors don't trust their congregations because we want to give you all the answers. But I think, actually, sometimes pastors don't trust the Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit is going to lead us into all truth, we should trust that your path to get there might be different than what we're going to give you from the pulpit. And that's, you know how much trust that is? I have to trust that you're going to engage deeply, thoughtfully, and care about where the Holy Spirit leads you to go. But you know what? I trust you. 
but more than you, I trust the Holy Spirit. Right? My only ask for you is that you engage with the Holy Spirit. Maybe a bigger question is, did God give his revelation in the way God wanted it to come to us? This is a great question, right? Because if God said, I'm going to partner with human beings, God decided this is the way it's going to go, and I'm going to put a bunch of trust in them. Wow. So how should we look at inspiration? I think it's this. First of all, God gave it to us, right? God revealed himself to us. And what, isn't it amazing when somebody tells you something about themselves that's really personal to them? Isn't that an amazing moment in a relationship when somebody says, hey, nobody knows this about me, but I want you to know. The trust that's involved in that conversation brings you closer to that person, right? It, 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 it emboldens the relationship. It makes it more intimate. God did that to, with us. God said, hey, I want to tell you something about myself. And, and the author's got a fire in their bones. They received it, right? And they got this fire in their bones to share it with people. But they recognized the gift that it was. Whenever somebody reveals something to you, it's a gift. And God did this with certain biblical authors, and it's a gift that we get to see what they said. But, you know, it's not just in, it's not just in Scripture, because it's more than that. Colossians 3.16 says, let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives, right? Not just fill your pages, but fill your life. Teach us, teach and counsel each other in all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. So God reveals himself to us in our thoughts. We get this fire in our bones. We receive it and we get this fire in our bones. And from that richness of the relationship, from that richness of living this revelation of God, comes the overflow of scripture, right? We had to write it down because we were so excited about what God has shared with us. But what it means is that now we take part in the ongoing revelation of God. But how do we take part in it? By wrestling, right? By having conversations, spiritual conversations with people that you love and you trust and people that you just want to hear their different perspective on, right? By engaging in a life of faith and a faith community so that this conversation is what continues in our lives. You need to understand, deconstruction is not just throwing things away, but it's being careful as you take things apart to be able to see what might, what might be around later. In, in the series guide, I tell this story, but let me tell it to you real quickly again. When I was 15, I was working maintenance at La Sierra Academy. I thought I was going to drive the tractor because that's what I wanted to do. And so they let me drive the tractor my first day. I destroyed a lot of things at that school. <laughs> so I never got to drive a tractor again. But my boss said, you seem to like to destroy stuff. I've got a job for you. I need you to, to do some demo work in these like three rooms, couple bathrooms, because we're going to put in a, a, a gym for lifting. It was right next to our, our gymnasium. So we need, to, we need to put in this space. So he gave me and my other 15-year-old friend sledgehammers, and he said, demolish that place. I don't know if I could have gotten a better job at 15 years old, right? So we went in. He didn't show up for three more days. We destroyed everything. We destroyed light switches. We destroyed light bulbs. We didn't, like, you know, turn anything off. We, we got into those bathrooms. We destroyed those toilets. By the way, turn off the water first. It's much easier. <laughs> I know that at first. 
We destroyed sinks. We destroyed mirrors. We destroyed everything. We didn't know what the idea of a load-bearing wall was. We took them all down. <laughs> right? Three days later, our supervisor comes in. He's like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> you guys destroyed everything. We're like, that's what you told us, to demolish it. And he said, no, I wanted you to demo. I really wanted you to deconstruct it. There's some things here that we could have used. Was it the toilet? Yes. And he, he was like, maybe you should have taken a little care next time. We said, well, you weren't around to show us how to do it. We didn't know. We just destroyed everything. Deconstruction is not deconversion. Deconstruction is not demolition. Deconstruction is taking a look at what is still valuable and learning how to build back with it. But you do have to go through the process of taking things off the wall and taking a different look at them and holding them in different patterns in different ways. We start that by understanding how God reveals himself and then how people have been inspired to write about him so that we can hold scripture, scripture carefully and not abuse people with it and certainly not be abused by it because we understand what it is. I hope you guys know I take scripture incredibly seriously so seriously that I'm not gonna cut it up and just throw certain pieces at you to make a point. We're gonna do deep study of scripture because I believe that we have to wrestle with the same things, that same revelation that was being wrestled with by those authors. That's the foundation of how we begin to deconstruct. And it also gives us this level playing field so we can place things as we begin to curate our faith lives later with the things that are left over, those elemental objects that can't be broken down anymore but they are the basic building blocks of our faith. That's what we're doing. And here's the good news. The same God that was revealing himself in biblical times is the same God that continues to reveal himself today. God has not changed, but the process of discovery, that's what we get to be engaged in. So thank you for coming on this journey. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for being not only the same God, but being a good God and a great God, a God that is so willing to reveal himself to us that we, I mean, we literally get to be engaged and intimate with this God. Like, that's not, that's not reasonable. So thank you for being unreasonable. But Lord, more than anything, thank you for trusting us, trusting us with your revelation. Because Lord, we live your revelation every single day if we claim to believe in you. So Lord, as we go through this process of deconstruction, however varied and myriad ways that we do it, I just ask that you be with us. Because I know that we can trust you as much as you can trust us and probably more. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for being a God who's worthy of those spiritual songs and hymns that we'll sing to you. And thank you for being a God who loves us. In your name I pray, amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.